Hey everybody, it's Chris with the Pub Trivia Experience. So with the updated guidance from the SAG after strike, and I'm going to put our statement here on after this recording, but this week was originally supposed to be an all movies episode with the updated guidance and just us wanting to support the, the strikers. We are going to pull that episode. We will release it once the strike is over. For this episode, you're going to be getting, uh, honestly, two really fun bonus episodes that are up on our Patreon feed. They are two episodes featuring friend of the show Brittany Shaw taking on our very own Mike Mott in literature trivia. These are a blast. You'll enjoy them. They are going to play back-to-back. Enjoy the show. Hey, all Jeremy here from the PTE Network. Just popping in with a quick message before we start this week's show. If you're part of our Discord or our Facebook group, you may have seen the statement we released regarding the WGA and the SAG after strikes and how it's going to affect our shows in the immediate future. If you're not, I'm going to give you just a little recap here. Last week, the Screen Actors Guild and the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists released some guidelines on their site for podcasters and how they can help support the strike, as well as how they would like podcasts to handle struck work. We here at the PTE Network affirm the rights of the workers of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA, and want to do everything in our power to stand in solidarity with them. Because of this, you're going to notice a little bit of a shakeup in our upcoming releases. The biggest thing you'll notice is that the 80s movie bracket is currently going on hold. We look forward to getting this out there for everyone to listen to, but until the strike is resolved and the unions have an acceptable contract in place, we will be refraining from releasing any content that could seem to be promoting any struck work, past, present, or future. With that said, our shows will continue to discuss non-struck work, including general knowledge trivia, music, and anything else that falls under the non-struck umbrella. This means that pub trivia experience and frenemy trivia, for the most part, will be largely unaffected, but may shift some of the content and purposely swing any questions we write away from being about anything that could constitute struck work. On Boozy Bracketology, you'll see us pivoting to other brackets for the time being. We have a lot of fun topics to debate that aren't movie or TV related, and we are shifting our release schedule around to bring those to you sooner rather than when we had them planned for after the 80s movie bracket. We appreciate everyone's continued support and understanding during all of this. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at contact at pubtriviexperience.com, join us on Discord at ptebb.com Discord, or on our Facebook group, The Lounge, fans of Pub Trivia Experience and Boozy Bracketology. We'll update everyone if and when more information and clarity becomes available from SAG-AFTRA and the WGA. All right, you're probably tired of hearing me speak at this point, so without further ado, enjoy this week's episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pub Trivia Experience bonus edition. My name is Chris and I've gathered here with two of literally the smartest people I know. First in the Chicagoland area, Brittany Shaw, the pride of Jeopardy. How you doing and what are you drinking? Hey, I'm doing great. I think you may need smarter friends if I'm one of the smartest people you know. Uh, but I am, you know, it's been a week, but I am doing better than I was uh, before now. So I am drinking... A Sunny D vodka seltzer because I grew up in the 90s. <laughs> and what better way to reminisce than to drink, right? Amen to so, that. Cheers. 
I'll drink to that. Prior to Huntsville, Alabama, Mike, my friend, Rocket City, USA is treating you well. How are you doing? What are you drinking? It's treating me well. It's treating me well now. Like as, as Brittany said, it's been a week, but uh, tonight has been a, a very happy time. Uh, I've been cycling through a couple of different citrus fruit based IPAs. Uh, in our prior recordings, I, I had a tangerine IPA and a grapefruit IPA, and now I've got a IPA with pineapple. Ooh, uh, this yeah. is I've, I've had this on the, I've had this on another recording before. It's uh, called "Did We Just Become Best Friends?" It's from the Hoofhearted Brewing uh, Company, and uh, it's got a very cute picture of a cat on it. Not as cute as Simba, but it's still a cute picture of a cat. Um, and and there's a cartoon musicians that are playing their instruments on the side of the cat. It's a, it's a weird label. Anyway, I, I, I buy these things for the labels a lot of times, but I I've actually had this before and it's delicious. So cheers. Nice. I would have popped mine, but I've been pre-gaming. So <laughs> we've all been You're there. Good. I got my bottle of tipplers here. Tipplers is a mixture here from the St. Pete distillery of their famous, not famous, but they're really good orange liqueur. And their bourbon checks in at 60 proof, y'all. This is the dessert drink if I ever had one. Mm. It checks in, I think, 60 or 70 proof. I didn't remember. 70 proof. Uh, it's literally like drinking orange liqueur. If you mix this with some vanilla Coke, it's probably delightful. I don't. It The nose on this is amazing. I will drink to that. Cheers. We are here tonight to play a little literature bonus trivia. So you know how this game goes. Nine questions. Each panelist will lock in when they're ready with the answer. Questions one through five, general knowledge in the category of literature. Question six is a multi-part answer. Four possible answers, each worth five points apiece. Question seven, your quotations question. I'll give you a quote. You tell me who said it. Question eight, your decades question. If you get the decade right, you get 10 points. You get the decade wrong. You get the decade on the no. You get the, sorry, wow. Been drinking already. If you get the year on the nose, you get a bonus two points. Then question nine is your closest to the pin challenge. Only one person will get the points. If they tie, they'll split the points. Let's go ahead and let's get started with question number one to both pan both contestants. Who is the main villain in the Harry Potter series of books? Locked in. Am I allowed to speak his name? Uh, <laughs> I, I believe so. Anyway, I'm no, I'm not even going to say that because I'd screw up. Uh, I'd I'd screw up a bunch of things. I've actually never read the series, but uh, I'm working on it. I, I'm through the first two books, uh, but I have seen the movie series, and I know this is Lord Voldemort. Brittany. Um. Yeah, in the books, the villain is Lord Voldemort, but I think we can all agree that outside the books, J.K. Rowling is the real enemy. So, <laughs> and fuck her. So, <laughs> it, it is, it's incredible to me that, that she just is so intent on torpedoing her reputation the way right? that she has. Anyway, <laughs> it's like all you had to do was just not say anything. Right? <laughs> Literally all you had to do. Lord Voldemort's a correct answer, although I would argue, yes, 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 Lord Voldemort is bad, but I've seen the movies. 
Dolores Umbridge is worse. I oh, was trying. Yeah, to, she's worse, but she just doesn't span all the books. That's what I was. What I was going to say is the to me the worst villain. But mm-hmm. all I could think of was fucking Dolores Claiborne. That was all <laughs> I could. That was that was stuck in my head, and I'm like, no, that's a movie based on a Stephen King novel. Like, stop. I just feel so bad because Imelda Staunton did an amazing job playing Umbridge, and she gets so much hate for it because she did such a good job. And she's an utter delight. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> well, it's 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 like the kid who played uh, Joffrey in Game of Thrones oh, he is supposedly yeah. like the nicest human being in the world. Jack Gleason. Yeah, Jack Gleason. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Like he's supposedly like just this this super sweet guy. I, I say he's a kid. Mm-hmm. He's probably thirty now, but like just apparently just a nice guy. But he's he just came played. to a con it, here in Tampa. Legitimately a nice guy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, question number anyway. two, worth 10 points. What Russian writer gave us the novel Dead Souls? Oh, I stumped him. I'll take this as a win. I'm going to lock in. Mike, over to you. Talk it out. I'm not well-versed in my Russian lit. Um, you think of Russian writers. You think of Tolstoy. You think of Dostoevsky. Um, I was trying to pull up the... Um, there's, there's probably others, but those are the two that I think of. That, and from a title perspective, that definitely s- says more Dostoevsky. Um, but it's not a, it's not a title that I associate him with. I don't know. I don't know that I have anything better, unfortunately. So I'm just going to say Dostoevsky. Brittany, what'd you go with? Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on what his first name is. I think it's Alexander, but I believe this is Gogol. And I think his first name is Alexander, so I think it's Alexander Gogol. What are you locking in with? Gogol. G-O-G-O-L. Gogol is a correct answer. His first name is Nikolai. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. Yep. Well done. Brittany's got a 10-point lead as we head into question number three. I'm going to go ahead and anticipate quick logins, probably from Mike alone, but... Who is the author of the Twilight series of books? Locked in. Oh, shit. What's her name? Um, Stephanie. Don't, don't act like you don't know. No, no, no. It's Stephanie. Uh, I know it's Stephanie. Um, is it Stephanie Meyer? Stephanie Meyer? Brittany, what'd you say? Stephanie Meyer, 100%. Stephanie Myers, a correct answer. Both contestants are getting the points. I I, wa- I want I hemmed and hawed very long about whether or not it was Meyer or Myers. That was that was part of my hesitation. I couldn't tell if it was Meyer or Mayer. So hey, what do I know? It's M E Y E R. So Meyer. There, there you go. go. Question number four. What American author earned a claim for writing Salem's Lot? And I'm gonna I'm gonna lock in. Brittany, talk it out. I'm debating between two very different authors, one based on instinct and then another from like some random memory that I feel like I have. But Salem's lot, I'm like in between and it's gonna be crazy because I'm in between John Bunyan and Eudora Welty, which are vastly different people. Ah. And Eudora Welty was my gut response. But John Bunyan, for some reason, I'm having a memory that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress and something called Salem's Lot. But I feel like I just could be very, very off with either of those. 
but I have screwed myself over in the past by not going with my gut instinct. So I'm going to go with Eudora Welty and lock that in. Mike, what'd you say? Well, in terms of being way off, and we've already—I I already made an allusion to him earlier in the Harry Potter question. Um, I thought of Salem's Lot as a horror story, and I kept coming back to Stephen King, so I said Stephen King. Well, it's never good when I know the answer, because um, you can be guaranteed the two authors that Brittany named that I've never heard of are not the answer. <laughs> Stephen King is what we're looking for. Okay. Good job, Mike. All right, we are on to question number five. It was a weird question because I didn't necessarily think of Salem's Lot as this is the book that suddenly got <laughs> Stephen King acclaim. Like that was why say, I didn't say it, it, it suddenly got him acclaim. It earned him acclaim. Tr- true, that's mm. true. Anyway, question number five: What is Herman Melville's most famous novel, considered by many to be the one of the greatest American novels of all time? Locked in. Well, Bartleby the Scrivener was a short story, <laughs> so I'm going to go with Moby Dick. Brittany? I would prefer not to read it, but I am also <laughs> going to go with Moby Dick. <laughs> Brittany, that joke killed with the one other Littner that is working with us right now. That was fantastic. I tip my hat if I was wearing one. I would, yeah. I'm well, well, happy. well done. <laughs> Well, done. I was like, because it's definitely not going to be Omu or Taipei. But... Yeah, exactly. I was. I, I knew there were other ones, but I was like, it's not going to be those. Yeah. Anyway, Chris is just Moby like Dick is the correct answer. <laughs> I am just Give loving the the answer. I'm loving the banter. All right, but we are on to question number six. Question number six is your multiple part answer. I'm going to read you a question. It's got four possible answers. Actually, this one here: one, two, three, four, five. So this one here will be worth. Each correct answer will be worth four points apiece. Here is your multiple part answer. Name the five members of the famous five from the Enid Blyton books. From the what now? From the Enid Blyton books. You said they're called the famous five? They're the famous five in the Enid Blyton books. All right, Chris, I'm going to go ahead and lock in. All right, Mike, over to you. Well, this is not what I'm locking in with, but the first five things that I wrote down were, I do not fucking know. <laughs> gotcha. I've never, I've, I've never heard of this to be completely, I'll be completely honest. I Enid, the Enid Blyton does not ring a remote bell. I'm sitting here trying to name the fab five from the university of Michigan. I, I, I have never heard famous five. I don't no, None of this rings a bell to me. Um, so I'm probably, I'm probably about to get my ass handed to me and I, I'm wondering if this is something that I know in, and just in a different context, or if it's just literally something that I has never passed, passed across my, my, uh, brain. But I, I really don't have anything here uh i will say uh smith johnson jones uh jackson and cooper i i I have nothing Brittany, what did you say yeah i'm glad i'm not the only one who had no clue who (laughs) eat (laughs) the 
<laughs> I was literally waiting for you to be like, oh, Eden Blyton. Like, so yeah. I decided to go with what I think is the correct and only answer of ginger, sporty, scary, posh, and baby. <laughs> Brittany getting the 20 points. Nice. No. <laughs> but, but, but a far cleverer and better answer than what I came up with. Absolutely. I love that. That's great. But that, but Brittany, th- I thank you for making me feel better. Cause I'm <laughs> like, like, who is this person? Like, I yeah, I'm going to ask Chris to repeat this. Like it's going to make any difference. Yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, the bare naked lady song Enid starts playing in my head. And I'm just like, Enid, we never really knew each other. So the famous five is a series of children's books, just so y'all know. Okay. It centers around five, five children. Uh, It does include their friends, but these are the core five. Their core fives are named Julian, Dick, Georgiana, Anne, and Timothy. Okay. Okay. Uh, No last names are given either on the answer that I have or on their Wikipedia page. So I'm giving you both zero points. Justifiably, I feel like I should have just named hosts from the PTE podcast. Right, (laughs) you would have gotten closer. Question number six. This, sorry, that was question number six. Question number seven. This is your quotations question. I'm going to read you a quote. You tell me who you think said it. Notoriously hard on bonus episodes. Indeed, said the following quote: "Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken." Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. It's a great quote. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll lock in. All right, Brittany, over to you. All right. So I know I've heard this quote before. I don't know that I've ever heard who said it, but it feels like it's going to be one of those things. That's either a really old quote that's back in vogue or it's a newer quote by a more recent author so like mark twain said a lot of stuff that is back in vogue now (laughs) um but this doesn't really feel like a twainism necessarily maybe a shania twainism but she's not (laughs) um let's go girls (laughs) fight song um let's see about being a woman but like Dorothy Parker also had a lot of good quippy quotes like that. Um, but this one seems too nice for Dorothy Parker. <laughs> so <laughs> true. Very um, true. So I think I'm going to go with Maya Angelou. All right, Mike, what'd you say? That's that's a great guess. Uh, so Mark Twain popped into my head. And speaking speaking of Mark Twain uh, quotes being back in vogue, and me speaking of the week that I've been having, I, I actually wrote on my whiteboard earlier this week the Mark Twain quote: uh, "The human race only has one truly effective weapon, laughter." And then I captioned it as Mark Twain from the Survival Guide to this project. <laughs> because it's just how it's been. Uh, so Mark Twain did pop into my head, but I ended up going a little newer. I don't know why this author's name popped in my head. It's entirely possible. It's because of the boozy bracketology, best sci-fi fantasy authors bracket that's going on right now as uh, we're recording this. So it's being posted right now as we're recording this. Uh, but the Neil Gaiman popped into my head and it kind of sounded like something that, that I could see him writing or saying. So I, I locked in with Neil Gaiman, but I didn't really have a, a good leg to stand on. I like that answer though. 
two really good answers. Unfortunately, zero correct answers. Brittany is actually closer when it comes to older people. Older quotations. You're on. You're on the right track. This is the uh, the infamous and well known Oscar Wilde. Oh, that actually. Dang, I actually did think of Oscar Wilde, and I was that, like, nah. <laughs> that totally tracks. Absolutely, that's that. That is a very Oscar Wilde thing to say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we got two questions left, and we have got a tie ball game right yes, now. Yes, we do. We're yeah, moving on to question number eight. Question number eight is your decades question. Here's a chance for one of you to pull ahead. If you get the decade right, you get 10 points. If you get the year right on the nose, you get the bonus, too. That could be the difference maker. Here's your question. In what decade was James Joyce's novel Ulysses published? Oof. You couldn't give me set. I could give you the exact date. Mm. I'll lock in. Brittany, over to you. I'm terrible at years. <laughs> um, so... When was James Joyce writing? Like, I know, like, his writings are supposed to be, like, some of the greatest ever and that Ulysses is, like, the longest novel ever. Maybe that's Dubliners. Who knows? Um, He wrote a lot of Irish stuff. Maybe it was Finnegan's Wake. I don't know. But I don't know when he wrote it. Like, I know things he wrote and I know where he wrote them because he's Irish. But I don't know when he wrote them. Um, So I'm going to say the 1910s. And you want to give a year exactly? Oh, sure. Uh, Let's say 1913. Mike, over to you. I actually think that's a great guess because I was between the 10s and the 20s, which it is one of the very few feathers in my literary cap that I that I have that I actually read Ulysses as part of a college course and understood some of it. Uh, I. (laughs) <laughs> I never got I never got the courage to venture into Finnegan's Wake, um, which is an entirely different beast. Uh, but listen to the drinking song. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I think that's probably the better use of your time, to be quite frank. Ulysses. So it ta- it all takes place in a single day, and I'm pretty sure that's like June sixth. And I want to say it was 1904 or something like that. It happens to be the the day that James Joyce met his future wife. Uh, that's why he said it on that particular date. Um, but I believe it was published much later. I was between the 10s and the 20s and ended up locking in with exactly a decade later than Brittany did. I said 1923. Mike, went 1923, the correct answer is 1922. Oh! Mike picks up the 10 points. Is now has a 10-point lead. Brittany Good can job, tie Mike. it up here. With our closest to the pin challenge. We've never had a tie in a bonus episode before. This could get interesting. Also, I don't know if we can end in a tie. We don't have any rules here. We're all a little, little, well, two of us are a little drunk, so we'll see how this goes. Here is your closest to the pin question. How old was Zadie Smith when she published her first book? I'm going to lock in. Oof. Um, I do not know. Obviously, um, this is the closest to the pin thing. No one is supposed to actually know. White Teeth has been on my uh, reading list for a while. And I've just never gotten around to it. So I've never read any Zadie Smith. I'm guessing... 
based on the question, she was probably older on the older side when she first started publishing. You know what number I really like? Speaking of literary numbers, 42. I like the number 42, so that's what I'm going to lock in with. Brittany, what'd you say? See, I took the opposite tack of Mike, and I thought it was significant because she was younger mm-hmm. when she first published her first book. Could be that, and too. There was something about the number 16 that was sticking in my head, and so I said 16. Your correct answer. She was 24 years of age. Oof. Brittany has gotten the correct answer. That means we got a tie. I got the correct numbers. I just reversed them. Mm-hmm. Does that count for anything? No, you're officially the Steve Buscell of this game. <laughs> uh, Steve Buscell, a former, was he a Brave before he went to the Cubs? I always think of him as a White Sox. Wasn't he on the White Sox, too? He might have been a White Sox, too, but he wore number 24 in Chicago, at least the, the good Chicago. Right. We have a tie ball game. We've got a tiebreaker question. We're going to do another closest to the pin challenge. Whoever gets this right is going to win the game. Here is your tiebreaker question. Is it at all literature related or did you just pull something random out of a hat? It's literature related. Okay, just curious. How many novels has Stephen King published? This includes the ones written under the name Richard Bachman. Mm-hmm. So... I feel like this is unfair because Mike has been talking about Stephen King various times throughout the night. It's it's actually even more unfair because this was my closest to the pin tiebreaker in my hot seat tournament episode. Um, and yet I don't remember the answer to it. So I will lock in with what I'm ballparking. But, but if we also want to have a new question, I'm not opposed to that either. I'll leave that to Brittany. I mean, if you don't remember, it's just as fair as anything else. I, 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 legit, I legitimately do not remember, okay. but I do, I do know that I asked this question. For okay, a, so for that. And I know that I listened to that episode, so I think <laughs> we have the same advantage here. Uh, effectively, um, <laughs> probably true. Yep. I think it's probably higher than this, but I just felt like this was a nice round number to go with in that the numbers are round depending on how you write them. And I went with 69. Giggity. Mike, what was your answer? This is going to be really close because I locked in with 64 because I like powers of two. Your correct answer is in the 60s, including these seven written under the, the name Richard Bachman. Stephen King has written 65 novels. Ooh. Mike gets the point. Wow. wow. Good job, Mike. Good. That was a, that was a good game. Mm-hmm. Nicely done, Mike. You have bested Brittany in one thing and one thing only. One round <laughs> of trivia. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is the first time Mike and I have ever played each other in trivia. It, so. it is, and yeah. we're we're gonna Her- get a real game going. We're gonna get a real game. Yeah. I, I I love it. I think it's a delightful match. I just still can't believe Oscar Wilde was telling us to be ourselves when he was so stressing the importance of being earnest. Indeed, yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> You know I, I, I gotta go to camp. Yeah, that's right. And Washington save Christmas. And save, and save Christmas and go and to prison. Moon, I don't know where all and, and be scared stupid, <laughs> etc. Yeah. I can't with you two right now. I'm done. <laughs> Fair. 
Totally, totally fair. We hope you enjoyed that bonus episode. We will be back shortly with another bonus episode for you. Until that time, for Brittany and for Mike, I have been Chris. Have a good one. Hey, trivia lovers. Want to get the pub trivia experience in an interactive way? Check out Liquid Courage Entertainment. With a wide range of offerings online, LK has you covered. Streaming a wide variety of trivia games on Twitch with one-of-a-kind formats like Tringo, Guestimate, Mega Sheep, and more. Or check out the World Trivia Federation. With 36 hours to answer each quiz and no obligation, the WTF is the perfect solution to scratch that trivia itch on your own time. Come see us at twitch.tv slash liquid underscore courage or check out patreon.com slash liquid courage to join the WTF for as little as $2 a month. That's liquid courage with a K. Innovative. Interactive. Intoxicating. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Pub Trivia Experience Bonus Edition. My name is Chris, and we are here that we are here tonight. Oh, that wine is good. We are here tonight to play a little bit of literature trivia. Let's start first in Huntsville, Alabama, our Jeopardy hopeful, Mr. Mike Mott. Mike, my friend, how you doing? What are you drinking? Chris, I'm doing wonderful. Uh, I honestly, I'm feeling so good. I feel more human than human tonight. So I brought the Catawba White Zombie White Ale. <laughs> yeah, you see what I did there. This is this is a very refreshing, uh, perfect summer beverage, and it's only 5.1 percent alcohol by volume. So I might have enough uh, coherency to go up against uh, my opponent here tonight. I'll give you a big old thunder kiss, 1965 for that one. Oh, I was just wondering if that beer will go to your head, to your head. <laughs> All right, enough white zombie references for one night. You heard her, you love her, you tolerate her. We love her. <laughs> Our Je- actual Jeopardy contestant, Brittany Shaw. Brittany, my friend, same two to you. Um, I am doing swell. The holiday this week has me confused on what day of the week it is at any given time. And I mean, time's a flat circle anyway, so who right. knows what day it is. But as far as what I'm drinking, Chris, I found myself in a unique position earlier uh, asking a question that I don't know has ever been asked, or at least I've never asked, which is what kind of alcohol would I pair with a Pop-Tart? Because <laughs> I'm trying different flavors of Pop-Tart and currently <laughs> I'm trying one that's got some cinnamon notes to it. So I decided that the best beer in my fridge to go with that is from Skeleton Keeper Brewery. And it is the Migratory Toasted Coconut Golden Ale ooh, that features ooh. both a coconut and a swallow on there. I'm guessing European swallow by the uh, size. So and Europeans don't swallow from my experience. European oh. swallow or African swallow? <laughs> I love that Brittany's in here teasing a future uh, bonus episode that we're going to be doing. The best Pop-Tart flavor bracket is coming, and it's coming soon. Oh, yeah. I mean, for all (laughs) anyone on this podcast knows, or listening to this podcast knows, I just am a connoisseur of Pop-Tarts. So, um, I mean, I'm not, but I could be. We'll (laughs) see. I have ordered a dangerous number of Pop-Tarts to come to my house so that I'm making an informed decision (laughs) on what the best flavor is. I love the dedication. (laughs) 
Mike, throwing that out there. If you're free next Monday night, we are recording. We need a host. I'm in. All right. Mike's going to be our host for the best Pop-Tart flavor. <laughs> we need Brittany and Nicole. Thanks for, volu- it out. Thanks for volunteering. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah. We're, we're all, we're just figuring this out live. Mm-hmm. We'll do it live. <laughs> My turn. Oh, I got myself a bottle here. This is a bottle of the Three Wishes Pinot Grigio. For those that don't know what Three Wishes is, Three Wishes is the cheapest bottle of wine you can buy at Whole Foods. It's about $3.18 a bottle. Uh, this is the, it's, They call it their Pinot Grigio. It's actually a Pinot Grigio uh, mixed with their Colombard. Uh, some of those uh, wine, some of those grapes are coming from Napa Valley. The other part of the group coming from Ripon, California. Ripon? Ripon mm. sounds better for grapes, but uh, that's where we're going. There you go. Oh. <clears throat> Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've got our standard bonus episode for you here tonight. Nine questions. Questions one through five. Sorry, questions yeah, one through five are going to be your standard general knowledge questions in the category of literature. Question six, your multiple part answer. Question seven is going to be, you guessed it, your quotations question. Question eight was a decades question. Question nine you're closest to the pin challenge. Whoever has the most points at the end of the game will be our winner. We'll go over the point structure, but for the most part, 10 points for each correct answer. Ladies and gentlemen, are we ready? Oh, I think so. Let's do it. Let's get All lit. Right. Question number one. What is the anatomical name of Toni Morrison's first novel? Locked in. Uh Tony Morrison's first novel was The Bluest Eye, I believe. Mike's gone Bluest Eye. Brittany, what do you say? Uh, Her first work was The Bluest Eye. Bluest Eye is a correct answer. Points for both contestants. As we move into question number two. Who created the series of books featuring the character Mary Poppins? Locked in. Oh, (laughs) shh. Shit, it's not the first name that popped into my head was A.A. Milne, and I'm like, no, different Disney property, different series of books, different character. Uh, but it's a it's is it PJ Travers? I think it's PJ Travers was the second name that came into my head. So that's what I'll lock in with. Brittany, what did you say? Well, I went by Jeopardy rules and only locked in Travers because I wasn't sure if it was PF or PL. I know it's not PJ. I know it's F or L. I just don't remember. Oh, shit. You're right. It is. You're absolutely right. I just went with Travers. Uh, Mike, I'm sorry. You went. Nope. With, you gave me a full name. You shouldn't have. It's P L L Travers. P-L. Yep. Brittany is going to pick up the points there. Brittany's got a twenty to ten lead. We move into question number three. What was the name of Charles Dickens' last book, which was left unfinished? Mm-hmm. Locked in. Lock. Yeah, I was going to lock it, but all right, uh, Brittany. So the unfinished one from Dickens was The Mystery of Edwin Drood. I think when they dramatize it now, they actually let the audience pick an ending um, clue style. So uh, Mystery of Edwin Drood. Mike. Uh, Not only can I confirm that because I was in the musical The Mystery of Edwin Drood when I was in college. They absolutely let the audience pick not only who the murderer is, but but they also uh, decide because it's a very comedic musical. They also let them decide who the um, they feel like there's there needs to also be a love story. 
in 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 the thing. So the last thing that that the audience gets to decide is which two characters are going to fall in love. One of the options is the brother and sister, which was absolutely chosen in one of our performances. Oh, I love that. And is and is absolutely was absolutely hysterical. My roommate was playing the brother of that particular uh, pair. So uh, Jeff Woodhead was also in that one. But anyway, long story short, the mystery of Edwin Drood is the answer. Edwin Drood is a correct answer. Both contestants picking up the points 30 to 20. Before we move on to question number four, Brittany, I believe you recently went to a Star Wars burlesque show. Tell us about that. I did. It's called The Empire Strips Back. Um, it was so much funnier than I expected. And it's it's kind of weird, but it's Pride Month. So um, I identify as gray asexual, which is mostly asexual. So I'm probably the only person who was there for the Star Wars and less for the burlesque <laughs> part. Um, but it left me in the unique position to just really appreciate the humor and the art of the show. Um, and it really, it was, it was fantastic. Like I had an absolute blast. Um, I did not know that I needed Han Solo and Chewbacca doing a nineties medley of just dancing and singing, but I needed that in my life. And they did a rendition of, I did it for the Nookie called, I did it for the Wookiee. The Wookiee. Hell yes. Um, The only part that really just, and I was doubled over laughing was Sheev Palpatine naked on a Death Star to Miley Cyrus's wrecking ball. <laughs> because the the performer of Palpatine um, was the only one who went fully naked and was the only one who had any sort of prosthetic genitalia going on. Um, and it was definitely like a suit over somebody. And it like, but yeah, it definitely oh, came on, swinging on a Death Star and... <laughs> Well, the Wrecking Ball was a Death Star. Well, the Wrecking Ball was a Death Star. <laughs> and like, if I don't know if you've seen Anne Hathaway swinging on the Wrecking Ball. Yes, um, like, I have. Uh, yep. Uh, it was that, but a Death Star. And it just, my life was changed. <laughs> <laughs> the ways I can't really describe, but I had an absolute blast. And if they come touring through here again, I am getting Aaron to come down here so we can go. I'm taking whoever's in town to go with me. Uh, apparently they just celebrated their 10th year in Australia, which is where they started, but they're doing us tours now. So if it comes to near you, go see it. It's a great time. It's worth your money. The performers are insanely talented and it's just so funny. Oh my and, God. And if you're you not confirm, a I did not give you a heads up on that. I, I asked you extemporaneously. Oh, you did. You, you absolutely complete- did. Off the cuff answer. Yeah, Off that was cuff. wonderful. Yeah, no, this was, I had no preparation, but like anyone who asked me about that show, I will talk about it with whomever wants to hear about it. And I'll give you even more details than you ever thought you wanted to ask about. Well, good news is that preparations A through G were failures. We're moving on to preparation <laughs> H. <laughs> Mike Myers, uh, Austin Powers reference for you. We're moving on to question number four. What was the name of the family who Paddington Bear lived with? I can tell neither of you have seen Paddington 2, and how dare you? Yeah, I've never seen either, and I don't know that I've read the book. If you like Ted Lasso, you'll love Paddington 2. You'll feel so good about yourself after watching it. I'm going to lock in. <laughs> Mike, I have it out. I have nothing at all. Uh, this isn't ringing any bells. Um 
I'm going to assume the answer is not Paddington. Uh, and beyond that, there's nothing I can eliminate. Uh, I, I'm going to say Windsor. Why the hell not? Brittany, what'd you say? I, I have to be honest with you. I have written no fewer than four questions that have referenced Paddington in my own trivia game. And none of them have ever been about the family he lives with. They're always about like marmalade sandwiches or deepest, darkest Peru, or the fact that Paddington once threw out the opening pitch at a Cubs game. <laughs> um, but I, something about the name Montgomery, whether or not that's just because it sounds very British or I'm like conflating it with Lucy Maud Montgomery. I don't know. Uh, but I said Montgomery. Uh, unfortunately, you both went very British and this may be a British name, but it's a, uh kind of more English in general, uh, familiar in the States. It's the Browns. Oh, He's okay. Especially a brown bear. <laughs> well, yeah, but like, wow. I didn't know it was like by name. But, but legitimately in all seriousness, if you <laughs> like movies, you look at it as a kid's movie. Paddington two is a wonderful film. Okay. It will, it will restore your hope in humanity. Just much like Ted Lasso does. It is. <laughs> beautiful i haven't seen ted lasso either so we're halfway through the third season so we haven't okay. quite finished it yet but we really no like spoilers. it i haven't started season three yet I'm, now that it's all out i'm gonna finish mandalorian and move right on to ted lasso speaking of moving right along <laughs> we are doing go, just that i say things now just to trade just to troll jay borsum so you know <laughs> yeah question number five what was Dick Francis's profession before he took up writing? What was Dick Francis's profession before he took up writing? Yeah, I heard you the first time. Mm-hmm. Do you also know Dick about Dick? I know a lot about Dick York and Dick Sargent. I, I know it. Francis about Francis. I'm still <laughs> mad that no one made the Dick Clark reference when Arthur C. Clark faced off against Philip K. Dick in the fucking... <laughs> sci-fi fantasy author bracket um you know what i'm just gonna lock in i have no idea why this was the first thing that popped in my head maybe it's because it's late and i've had a few but i'm just gonna lock in with a stupid answer i'm really glad to hear that mike because i won't feel alone when i also lock in with something that may be a stupid answer but you know what from the uh from the bit of like 40s slang that i know um just from like running across it. I know that Dick isn't a term that was once applied to detectives. Mm. So I think Dick Francis was a paralegal before he became a writer. <laughs> there you go. Mike, what did you say? You know, they say go with your gut or in this case, the first thing that pops in your head my head is a freaking scary place to live because for whatever reason, the first thing that popped in my head was that he was a professional wrestler. I love it. <laughs> well, unfortunately, he was not named Stone Cold Dick Francis. <laughs> uh, Mike, you're actually closest. If we're doing it closest to the pen challenge, he is a professional athlete. He was a jockey. How interesting. Oh. Okay. I, I so for some reason sports was yeah that, it definitely him being an athlete of some variety was tickling something in my brain I guess I don't know. Right, we have got a little a little bit of a uh, 
negative streak going on. We're going to try and clear that up right now. Here is your multiple part questions. You're going to give me four answers. You'll get five points for each correct answer. Your scores right now are 30 to 20 with Brittany with a 10 point lead. Question number six. What are the first four words of the Allen Ginsberg poem, Howl? The first four words? The first four words. I am locked in. This is funny because this was this was an answer in Learned League not that long ago. It was. <laughs> not the first four words, but the poem. The poem, yeah, it was. Uh, I've never it read was, it. it. Oh, shit. I know it. I know it exists. It's, it's it's that beat generation thing. Not not really an era of writing or a, a thing of writing that I've been super interested in. So I've never read it, uh, and I don't know anything about it. Um, I feel like I'm going to recognize it though, just because it's probably one of those things that's a little more pop culture uh, than I real than I recognize. So let's say. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know a good answer. Uh, there we all were. I don't know. All right, Brittany, what did you say? So before I reveal this, um, shout out to Tim, uh, who don't, he and don't, I we have... say nice things about Tim here. I'm oh, sorry. We uh, just don't. No, I'm, I'm going to shout out Tim because we're playing a trivia thing together. It would feel like mean not to recognize that he's my partner and just helped us with the sports part of this game. But we're doing a we're doing a two player trivia thing this month called Trivia Storm, and there's different categories. And we just got our scores back on the literature, and there was a question that was, "What is the first four words of Robert Frost stopping by woods on a snowy evening?" And Whose woods we, these are? Yeah, well, see, yeah, you know that one. That's um, an easy one. Um, so I couldn't get off of Poe, and somehow I combined Poe and uh, I wandered lowly as a cloud. So we went. With well, I, I once upon a cloud. Like, no, we went with like while I wandered soft and sweetly as the first <laughs> line, which is no, I don't know. Like I combined <laughs> the raven with I wandered lonely as a cloud. Uh, thankfully, I did not do that here because I believe the opening words to Allen Ginsberg's Howl, and I believe it was even in the learnedly question where I saw the best minds of my generation. So I went with I saw the best. Well, if we were given points for the first eight words, Brittany would get it. I saw the best minds of my generation is a correct answer. That's right. I, I knew it was, I, I had a feeling it was going to be one of those things that, and you're right. It wasn't, it wasn't the actual question too. Mm-hmm. I think I saw Allen Ginsberg wrote how wrote down Howl and didn't read the rest <laughs> of the question. No, it is a well 50 done. To 20 to lead for Brittany. Mike needs to sweep this to get, uh, to force a sudden death playoff. But we're moving on to question number six, question number seven, sorry, question number seven. Question number seven is your quotations question. Which I'm notorious for getting right, never. Mm-hmm. I think you're the only one that's had more than one of these rights. So you have a shot here. Yeah, that's fair. The way this works is I'm going to read you a quote. You got to tell me which famous person said that quote. And I use the term famous in quotation marks. Here we go. Who said? People demand freedom of speech to make up for the freedom of thought which they avoid. Oof. Hmm. We're getting philosophically deep here. Yeah. I love that quote. It's oddly topical nowadays. 
may I ask if it's a real person who said it? Are you allowed to tell me that? That's a fair question. It just since it's literature. I, yep. So if you would like the if you both want the hint, I can answer the question and I can tell you what Wikipedia says their occupation is. It's up to you, Mike. I'm good I'm, either way. I mean, I'm, I'm the one who's down, so I'll take any any help I can get. Mm-hmm. So it is a real person, and Wikipedia has their occupation listed as a theologian, philosopher, poet, social critic, and religious author. It's a lot of occupations. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have one. I can barely do that. So this person is better than me. All right. You know what? I'm just... No, that doesn't really sound like him. There's a there's a theologian that my my good friend Ben uh, follows, pardon the phrasing, religiously, who passed away recently. And I was thinking about – and he, he posts quotes from him on Facebook all the damn time. I was thinking about citing him, but I don't. it doesn't really sound like him. So I don't know if I'm going to do that. Can you give us the quote one more time? No. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> Wine makes me sassy. What can I say? Hey, I'm perfectly fine with sassy Chris. I just didn't want to like overstep if we weren't allowed a repeat of the quotes. No, you are definitely allowed. Who said people demand freedom of speech to make up for the freedom of thought, which they avoid? Uh, you know what? I don't have a better guess. So I am just going to walk in with, with uh, that person and be wrong. And I'm fine with that. All right, Brittany, over to you. Okay. So... People demand freedom of speech to make up for the freedom of thought that they avoid. So I'm kind of in this two minds on this one, because on the one hand, this feels very like it could be like a John Locke or Thomas Paine kind of thing, like pre-constitution that would have influenced Jefferson when writing kind of thing. But it also feels like it could be very Orwellian. However, Orwell, I don't think was a religious author or any of the other 12 occupations or side hustles um, to support his writing habits. Um, So I'm definitely thinking it's probably not Orwell. Um, See, also Twain just says a lot of stuff. But he's also (laughs) not in that thing. So Um, so I don't know. I'm kind of on a coin flip between John Locke and Thomas Paine, but I think think John Locke actually did have some religious stuff about him. So I'm going to go with John Locke here. All right, but he's gone John Locke. Mike, what did you say? That's, that's a great thought. I think where, where my brain got hung up is my, I, I went immediately to, and I'm not blaming Chris for this, but I went immediately to what are names that it might be potentially that Chris has not heard of. Uh, John, while John Locke would not have occurred to me, I'm assuming Chris has heard of John Locke. I've seen Lost. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, maybe Lee not. Is, Lee but, is going to love you for that one. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, she has to. She married me. A theologian and a religious author that passed away very recently. Uh, that my that I, as I mentioned, my friend Ben was very fond of, and he posted quotes from this guy on Facebook all the time. Uh, seemed like a, a very smart guy. This is a little more he, his focus tends to be very uh on very much on the gospel which is why this this strayed a little bit away from this but i didn't have anything else so i locked in with timothy keller unfortunately neither contestant getting the correct answer uh this is a person by the name of soren kierkegaard oh kierkegaard, oh, kierkegaard. Yeah. okay kierkegaard ah. sorry yeah there yeah, you go that totally fits definitely a philosophy it, it, it definitely does yep 
Um, didn't know he did like hot takes in the, <laughs> in the political field. I mean, I right? suppose I suppose all philosophy could be considered a hot take. I don't know. I'm not a philosophy person. <laughs> I think that's clear. Nor that's am cool. I. All right. So with that, unfortunately, Mike, you are not going to win the game. But we're going to see if we can make it close. Your next question is a decades question. You'll get 10 points if you get the decade right. A bonus two points if you get the year on the nose. Here is your question. In what decade was the Paris Review founded? Oh, shit. Come on, Chris. This is this is another Learned League recent, recent yeah. Learned League question. I, to be fair, <laughs> I don't think this one actually mentioned the year. I think it, it did. Did it? I think it said it was founded back in like such and such time, but I can't remember when. Oh, yeah. Keep talking it out, though. Yeah. I'm going to lock in. Oh, dang it. <laughs> Sorry. I wasn't going to fall oh, for that. No. Nice try, though. So, okay. So the guy who founded the Paris Review, the Paris Literary Review, the literary review that's in Paris, the poison designed specifically to kill Cusco. Um, <laughs> I knew in, exactly where you were going with that, too. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah, Mike's right. This is totally in Learned League. And it talked about the guy. And the guy was like an athlete. And he was like a news broadcaster. So it's definitely not pre-20th century. So I can narrow it down to a century. And I think that is worth some moral points, if nothing else. <laughs> um so we're gonna put a one a nine next to that one I scribbled down. If he was a news broadcaster, that means he was on TV. So that's post fifties probably. So we're narrowing it down to there. So I am going to say, Chris, that he founded the Paris Literary Review in nineteen eighty one. Mike, what'd you say? That's a very good year. I was founded in that year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I went I went much earlier and I didn't really uh Brittany logic to it much less than I did. I just went with the first number that popped in my head, which was 1953. So 50s, 53. Well, one person is getting the points. One person got the year on the nose. Ooh. It was 1953. Oh, wow. Well <laughs> wow. done, Mike. Where the I yeah, okay. Wow, I don't know where the hell that came from, but well, I guess from Learned League, probably. Good on you for like pulling that one. We're call- I, pulling that one from wherever. Yeah, we would turn for it in front of me, but um, that doesn't work here. So, I we call it pulling a Scott. But ah, that's fair. Damn you, Scott! <laughs> but that was pulling a Mott. So, and there you go. I like the rhyme. That's that's fine with it. Honestly, actually, uh, that that's a legitimate term, especially when it when it comes to dates. Mm-hmm. I would say throughout the history of this podcast, I do probably have a history of pulling random dates. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. You you are a numbers guy. I think I think it's, I think that's why All I think right, it's I see numbers in, in that way. Copyright Brittany Shaw. <laughs> there you go. Trademark pulling a mot. Well, we are on to our closest to the pin challenge, although I doubt we're going to need it. I was going to make an absurdly inappropriate joke about my teenage years, and I'm not going to. But anyway, (laughs) I would would appreciate not having to edit that out. That'd be great. Here is your closest to the pin challenge, although I have a feeling we're going to get this on the nose. How many Harry Potter novels were there? Close. How many books are in the Hunger Games series? (laughs) Really? Uh, The original run. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Locked in. Yeah. Locked in. Three. Three. Although they made it four movies, but three. 
yeah, it's three books, but there's a prequel. So I was like, there, there, we counting the prequel? Because that's, yep. that's four. But in the original series and the did original Su- run, there are did three. Did Col- Suzanne Collins wrote the prequel too? Yeah. Okay. The Ballad of Songbird and Snakes, as I avoid looking that way because it's on the shelf over there. So. <laughs> I could also have stuck it on the to-be-read pile of shame that I have touched. Yeah. I did pull a book off of there, and I put a different nice. one on there. Right. So, it's, yeah. Yeah. So my answer is three. And what three is in. a correct answer. Woohoo. Ah, it wouldn't have mattered anyway, but the, the whole PJ thing is pissing me off. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it was, you're right. You're 100% right. It was like, yeah, I, I knew it was P something. And as, and as soon as you said it, I was like, it's PL, not PJ. What the hell are you mm-hmm. thinking? It faces this way, not this way. Mm-hmm. Oh, Michael will be kicking himself for a while for that one. Brittany, you are our winner tonight. Nicely done. Wow. Thanks. Good job. I, I, I was a little surprised because I know Mike is very good at literature trivia. And tonight a little, a little bit better. Yeah. That's right. It all comes yeah. down to the old last names only. So. Yeah, exactly. Jeopardy. You were introduced rules, as a Jeopardy hopeful. That's right. Some advice, it's, like which I am woefully underqualified to give. Last names only. Not. <laughs> I'm not, mostly not giving it from my own experience because I have a habit of saying the wrong first name. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, I'll give the full name because I know the full name. No, I do so, not. So, Brittany, let me let me ask you, how many times did you audition before you made it? Did you make it on your first one? I, I don't think you're gonna like my answer. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. I, I, I've, so, audi- I've auditioned, like done the in-person audition twice, but I didn't yeah, make like, it either time. At the risk of your audience deciding not to tolerate me anymore or disliking me even. Um, <laughs> I, so like a lot of people who go on the show, like it's been their lifelong dream. Like they, I have a friend who was on my tape date. Uh, like we were on the same tape date. She's been working on this for 10 years. She did, she's been like auditioning everything mm-hmm. for 10 years. And I know this is not going to sound good at all, but literally the last time I took the test was because it was Jeopardy's birthday and a bunch of friends were like, hey, we're all taking the Jeopardy test. You in? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? Ha, no. And I took it and like it just it went my way. But at the same time, like I know it doesn't go everyone's way the first time. Like Rowan, uh, who's become a very dear friend of mine, they said it was their fourth in-person audition before they got a call to yeah. be on the show. But, um, oh but that's good information. Yeah. That gives me, that gives me hope. Cause so yeah. I've, I've done two, two, two person auditions. The second one did, the second one didn't really go as well, but mm-hmm. I think it, it, that was, it, there were a lot of circumstances around that one. The first one, I felt good about the online test. Mm-hmm. So I actually wasn't surprised when I got, because it was the first and only time I ever felt good about the online test. I got invited. I was like, sweet, this is great. I go, I show up to the audition. The person who's conducting the audition, the first thing they say is, you know, you kind of remind me of a young Ken Jennings. I'm like, okay, this is great. I'm in. I get 49 out of 50 on the written test. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Only missed one. And then I thought I did okay in the in-person, but just never got a... Never got an yeah. invite. So. And I think, you know, I think there is some of it that is like, what are they looking for that season? You know? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, um, the, and I, I don't know. I mean, maybe they do pull random names out of a hat. I literally don't like, I don't know how they pick. People have asked people for, they're like, how do they choose? I'm like, I don't know. I don't get paid that much. Tell you. 
Well, they get they, they get yeah. they get so many people, and and it's it's yeah. I'm sure it's very and honestly to me I think that my big hang up maybe maybe it was maybe it wasn't but I didn't really feel like I had a good list of stories that I put on my mm-hmm. you know audition forms. So oh, that was well, like, and here was the thing like, like you have the great like you have like the one I love that you didn't even I love that you revealed you didn't even plan on telling the Simba story which is oh so no fantastic. I didn't plan on telling that story at all I was going to tell a completely different story yeah but it was also like. When, when we did the in-person, they asked, like, I had talked to friends who had done the test before and they're like, yeah, they usually ask you like this kind of question. And so I'm so nervous about being asked questions that I'm not prepared for that. I was like, okay, let me, let me think of something that I can say in this moment. Mm -hmm. And then they asked me an entirely different question. (laughs) And I was like, I was not prepared for that one. (laughs) Can I ask you a personal question real quick? Sure. How the hell do you get lost in the Eiffel Tower? Um, well, Chris, you have a poor sense of direction. Um, the lift isn't there. That was there before when you came up to the top of the tower. Like when you were looking for the platform, the lift isn't there. So you're looking for the lift. The lift is down on the next level. Uh, and then you have no way, no idea where the lift was because it's not super clear. It's a big metal tower. It could be anywhere. Um, so you wander around and then you find the entrance to the stairs and you think, oh, I could go down the stairs of the Eiffel Tower. Going up would be a problem, but going down is perfectly fine. So you start going down the stairs and then uh, you're like, hey, this is pretty cool. Oh, you know what? Paris is so beautiful at night. And then you look out over the city and that's when you remember you are petrified of heights. <laughs> <laughs> and the stairs are metal stairs. And you are a person who could slide through those metal stairs if you wanted to. Um, you want to, though? Like, Oh, no. Oh, no, you don't. But you could. You know, there's that possibility. That's, so, that's enough to scare you to the... Yeah. So then what happens is you sit down on the stair and you start crying because no one knows where you are. This is in a time. This is a time before cell phones. And even if you had a cell phone, you're in Europe. You don't have an international plan. You have a phone yeah. card in your in your in your wallet because you can use it from the hotel phone, but that's not on the Eiffel Tower. Uh, you sit there crying, wondering if you're going to die there. Um, and then this nice, I think they were uh, an American family. They may have been British. They're, they're, they're <laughs> walking down the Eiffel Tower and they see you crying on the steps and they stop and they're like, well, what's going on? And you explain the whole situation. You're like, I got separated from my group. I found the stairs. Uh, I'm terrified of heights and I can't move. And they tell you, okay, well, why don't you take my arm and we'll walk down the stairs together. Uh, but can you take a group photo of us when we get down there? And I'm like, I absolutely will. Um, I really hope that photo turned out well because this was back in the time of the clicky cameras. And right. I had to turn the wheel. And I'm like, you don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah. But, you know, with phones, you can, awesome. I, took, I took three or four. You can't do yeah. that with a disposable camera. You, you don't know what else they've got on there. You don't know how many photos you have left. Like, it's true. So I really hope their photo turned out well. I wish I had asked their names so that I could have been, like <laughs> shouted them out at some point. But you know, they're yeah. just sitting there watching Jeopardy like, a month and a half ago, going like, "Right, they're doing the, yeah. the Leonardo DiCaprio." <gasps> right, exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so I just, I just, I just want to throw out real quick for 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 someone who's who said that they like that you like to prepare for mm-hmm. questions that you're, you know, when you don't know what you're going to be asked. That's between that 
and the Star Wars burlesque show? That's two questions that you were just asked, oh, like out of nowhere that yeah. you just freaking well, nailed. I, I no, I'm just throwing that out. There. You can either ask me on the moment, and whatever comes out of my mouth is going to be what you deal with. <laughs> That's fair. That's or fair. if I know a question's coming, I need to prepare. Like I know that I can't go off the cuff for those kinds of questions. That's fair. But that like, fair. if I don't know the question's coming, you know. Yep. You might regret asking me, but I'll answer. <laughs> I get you. I get you. will never regret asking questions, Brittany. I love it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely not. I love that. The, I love that the end of this episode went off the rails, but it's appropriate. This for- is, this these, is, these I, are I, to, so these are designed to be fifteen minute episodes. We're thirty seven minute. Mark. I know. Oh I'm. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Who invited Jeff Woodhead? Come on. <laughs> Tonight we are all Jeff Woodhead. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, it's been another. Pub Trivia Experience bonus episode. Uh, you're listen, listening to this most likely on our Patreon feed, so thank you for your continued support. Uh, for the Pub Trivia Experience, I have been Chris. I have been Mike. And I've been Brittany. We will see you next time. Have a good one.